Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster Church this morning. We are glad that you are here. Whether you are joining us in person or online, your presence is a gift with us this morning. I'm going to ask several things this morning, several announcements for you. The first is a reminder that if you are sitting on the inside end of your uh, row to please pass the worship registry down so that we have a, a record of your being with us this morning. The second is as you look at the beautiful flowers uh, up front this morning and notice the three crowns for Epiphany Sunday, you may please take those flowers with you after the service. Let them brighten your day or somebody else's. I also want to say a special word of welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We are grateful and honored by your presence. We hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, particularly communion, uh, which there are instructions for in your order of worship. And speaking of communion, you have probably already noticed there is an extra table with a bowl this morning. Not only are we celebrating Epiphany today, we are also going to be exploring the baptism of Jesus. Uh, on this morning. And so that bowl is going to be part of communion to help us remember our baptisms and remember that we are all chosen by God. So after you take communion, Mark will be there at the table to offer you a special blessing. And uh, you do, certainly do not have to participate, but if you would like to, stop there, dip your fingers in the water. If you are from a tradition in which you cross yourself, feel free to cross yourself. If you are not, just let that water be on your fingers and feel that and remember your baptism. Parents, I will leave it up to you if children need to participate in this part of communion. Uh, kids, you can ask mom uh, and dad and whoever you are with if that is a choice you need to make. Uh, speaking of our kids, please do come down on the last verse of our hymn for the children's message. And as you look at the third hymn this morning, that is not a carol. Uh, it might seem like it is, has the same name, uh, but don't uh, think that you know the words to that. That is a different song, so make sure you have your hymnal ready for that. And then after our service today, we are going to be having a special listening session. Um, in December, the Coordinating Council voted to recommend to the congregation that Northminster apply for membership into an organization called the Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists. AWAP for short. Um, this is an organization that works to create and support a community of churches, organizations, and individuals committed to the inclusion of uh, LGBTQ people in the full life and mission of Baptist churches around the country. So this is something we've been talking about for a while, and we're going to take some time after the service. We're not taking any kind of vote yet. That will happen in a business meeting. But there will be a time after the service for you to ask questions, to get more information, and present any comments you want the Coordinating Council to hear uh, about this recommendation. So do please stay if you would like to hear more, if you have a question, uh, right here in the sanctuary, right after the service, um, and the Coordinating Council members will be here to help you with that. Now with all that said, I'm going to ask that we take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to let our minds and our hearts and our spirits catch up with our bodies, because as much as those should all go together, they don't always. So take a deep breath. Allow that breath to not only fill your lungs, but to go all the way down to your belly, to the tips of your toes. 
As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out the stress of going back to school, starting back to classes. Allow that breath to calm whatever is going on in your mind that might be distracting. Breathe in again. Know that you are surrounded by people who love you and by a God who has chosen you. And then let us worship God together. Good morning. So the, the, sorry, the mission emphasis for the month of January is something that is near and dear to my heart. It's going to be the Washita Parish Animal Shelter and or the Humane Society. We divide what we get between um, them. Uh, so for their needs, there's a huge need for washing detergent, cleaning supplies like bleach and Bicron and scrub brushes, disposable gloves of all sizes, paper towels, tall kitchen bags, Laundry Clorox, disinfecting wipes, um, Dawn dishwashing liquid, first aid supplies like antiseptic spray, old bath towels, t-shirts, sheets, blankets, etc. that can be placed in cages. Uh, also treats like milk bones. They say please no raw hides. Um, also puppy and kitten food, canned or dry. Dog and cat food, canned or dry. Cat litter, puppy pads of all sizes. Also livestock food. Uh, hay and shelled corn and animal carriers. So if you have anything laying around the house you've been keeping, you're ready to get rid of, we have a perfect place we'd like to take it and we look forward to the, the donations in the trunk. Thank you very much. Now let's begin our worship of God by joining together in our call to worship. The heavens open, the spirit descends, Jesus from the and a voice echoes through the blue expanse. This is my child, the Lord, who my Jesus is named, claimed. Can it be so? What a thing to be named, claimed.
reading from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. A message from the psalmist for us today. Thanks be to God.
In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. One day, John the baptizer showed up and started preaching in the rural areas of Georgia. Reshape your lives, he said, because God's new order of the Spirit is confronting you. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is what the prophet Isaiah meant when he said, A voice is shouting in the rurals, Lay out on the Lord's highway, straighten his roads. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This guy John was dressed in blue jeans and a leather jacket, and he was living on cornbread and collard greens. <laughs> Folks were coming to see him from Atlanta and all over North Georgia and on the backwater of the Chattahoochee, and as they owned up to their crooked ways, he did them in the Chattahoochee. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. When John noticed a lot of Protestants and Catholics showing up for his dipping, he said to them, You sons of snakes, who put the heat on you to run from the fury about to break over your heads? You must give some proof that you've had a change of heart. And don't think that you can feed yourselves that we good white people stuff, because I'm telling you, that if God wants, he can make white folks out of this pile of rocks. Already the chainsaw is at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't perform some worthwhile function is sawed down and burned up. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I am indeed dipping you in water in a into a changed life. The one who follows me is so much stronger than I that I'm unworthy to shine his shoes. He will dip you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His combine is already running, and he'll give the field a thorough going over. He'll store the grain in his bin and burn off the stubble. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly... The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, beloved. 
with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus arrived at the Chattahoochee from South Georgia to be dipped by John. But John tried to put him off. Look, John said, I ought to be dipping you, yet you are coming to me. Jesus replied, Please let me be baptized right now, for it is proper for us to give meaning in this way to all that's right. Then John consented. Now when Jesus was immersed, and just as he came up from the water, the sky was split open, and he saw God's Spirit settle on him like a dove alighting. And you know, a voice spoke to him from the sky. This is my dear son. I am so proud of him. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
So all of these Gospels represent different regions where believers lived and were hearing the story of Jesus. That can account for some of the differences. But the best explanation I have heard as to why we have four Gospels in the Bible is because this is like having multiple witnesses to an accident. Seminary professor pointed this out and thought it was a great point. If you're watching a car accident happen, and there are four of you standing around, you're all going to notice slightly different things. You have witnessed the same thing happen, but you're going to pick up on different details. That's kind of what these Gospels do as well. They're all there, they're talking about Jesus, but they're pointing out different details. Now notice I used in that example the word eyewitnesses. It's important to remember Matthew, whoever it was that wrote Matthew, because we don't know for sure, was not an eyewitness to Jesus. Matthew is the name given to the author, even though that person's identity is unknown, mostly for convenience. It is tradition. Uh, and the attribution comes somewhat later than when the gospel was written. Scholars use the name for convenience. We also don't know for sure where Matthew was written. Good possibility, the best possibility, according to scholars, is Antioch in Syria. Now, a couple of reasons for this. The author, we'll call him Matthew, uses Syria because that's his home region. He seems pretty familiar with that region. That's one reason. Another reason this is a good possibility of location is later, as the church was beginning to develop, Antioch in the first century had a large Jewish population and a large Christian population. It was a pretty good-sized place. So tension between the Christian church and the synagogue could happen within that sort of society. We see that a lot in Matthew's gospel. This also makes sense because Matthew was likely written around 80 CE, 80 years or so uh, after Jesus lived, about 10 years after the gospel of Mark, which was, in fact, the first gospel written. Matthew was not despite the order in the Bible, the first gospel that was written. About 90% of Mark appears directly in Matthew. Uh, about 50% of that is shared word for word. Um, Matthew also follows Mark's basic order and structuring. So if you read them together and notice a lot of similarities, that's why. Matthew then also shares about 20% from another source. Scholars call it the Q source. Matthew and Luke, you've heard of this, I see nodding heads. Um, the Q source that Matthew and Luke both pull from, Mark doesn't, that scholars can't quite explain. Now, what are the major themes and struggles of the Gospel of Matthew? The biggest one is the rivalry between the church and the synagogue that I already mentioned. Keep in mind, the temple was destroyed about ten years before Matthew is written. So, that temple system that we learn about in the Old Testament, that sacrificial system, the way the Jewish people lived their lives as Jewish people, was gone. They suddenly had to have a new way to interpret the Torah, to practice their faith, right? It would be like our church building was suddenly burned down. We would have to figure out how to have church. That's what the folks at the synagogue are doing. The Sadducees and the Essenes, two religious groups, two groups of leaders in the, in the church, do eventually disappear. 
This leaves two groups as heirs to Jewish tradition and history and culture. The Pharisees, who as you will see, don't get a great rap in Matthew's Gospel, and the early Christians, because most of them started out as Jews. That's where the tension comes in. We're going to see that over and over and over again. Now, you might have heard Matthew is the most Jewish gospel, and that is true. But in some ways, Matthew is also the most anti-Jewish gospel because of this tension. In Matthew, Jesus is not the victim of attacks by religious leaders. Most of the time, he is the aggressor, saying to the religious leaders, these things that you're doing are not working. And it should be understood that that is the author's attempt, Matthew's attempt, to legitimize the church and the faith during this struggle with the synagogue. It's also really important to remember that the church and Pharisaic Judaism, this Judaism that follows the Pharisees once the temple is destroyed, they're both very young, right? We think of Judaism as being this continuous line, this very old religion, and it is, but it's had to reinvent itself several times. So Pharisaic Judaism and Christianity are both very young at this point. And there's some sibling rivalry going on, right? We are so closely related in so many ways at this point in history. But the important piece to keep in mind is that sibling rivalry usually ends or at least calms down a bit as you get older. I'm, I'm an only child, I don't know for sure. <laughs> but at least changes as you get older. And uh, Christianity has never fully outgrown that rivalry stage. Christians have not been good to Jewish people over the millennia. We know that. So even as we go through Matthew's Gospel, we have to be mindful not to perpetuate these written in stereotypes, these struggles, and make them our own, because they are not. Now, let's transition to this morning's story specifically. I want you to place yourself at the shoreline of a river. Close your eyes if that helps. Hear the water moving and lapping onto that shore. Smell the wet soil of the bank. Feel the refreshing coolness of breeze as it comes off the water. Now imagine a wild man standing in the river. Let him come to life for you. He has quite the reputation. He doesn't mind calling out religious leaders. His clothes are as strange and unkempt as the rest of his appearance. He is tan and rail thin, which really isn't a surprise when you hear about his diet, locust and wild honey. Yes, they are kosher. Uh, one of the commentators I listened to this week pointed that out. That is, in fact, a kosher diet, but it's still gross. <laughs> Not particularly nourishing, but that's what John ate. Now hear his voice. He is calling for repentance. Repent. But I want you to resist the urge to understand that word as a modern Christian. Because the way we usually define that word, the way society usually defines that word, is not how John meant it. I want you to move away from that understanding a bit 
and understand, or at least consider, that the repentance John calls for is not about being a bad person in need of cleansing from past mistakes. That's too often how we talk about baptism. The repentance John is calling for is about being someone who steps away from the path. In Hebrew, in, in the Jewish world, this is teshuva. Teshuva. It's a key word for high Jewish holidays like Yom Kippur. And the whole concept of teshuva or teshuva is to turn you back to God's path, to where you ought to be. It's not about judgment. As Dr. Amy Robertson, one of the Jewish scholars I listen to every week, says, Straying, getting off of the path, is the way of things. It's what humans do. Our job is to notice when we're off the path and to come back. So this whole call to repentance is not about being a horrible person. It's about going back to a way of life to which you have been called. It's not just a spiritual practice, not just something you do in your head and in your heart. This is an active practical sort of thing. You've been headed in one direction, maybe hasn't been working so well for you, but now you've decided to change your life. You had a change of heart, internal. And your life, the external, your choices, your actions, even the way you speak to people, has to be reorganized, reoriented to God's path. Now, I want you to hear John talk about the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to wonder with me what in the world that actually means. We need to understand it. It's important. It's central to what John and Jesus later will talk about. Now, this is distinctive to Matthew. The other Gospels don't use this. The closest one is Mark, though Mark uses the phrase kingdom of God. Matthew, however, uses the phrase kingdom of heaven over 60 times. So it's very important. And scholars present a lot of different ideas about what this means, but the best one I've heard is this. This is from Dr. Robert Williamson. The word kingdom in the Greek is basileia. It is the same word the Roman Empire used to talk about their empire. So you have the kingdom of heaven, the Roman and the Roman Empire, they're both using the same words. So this is a way for John and later Jesus to contrast the Roman Empire to God's empire. Therefore, when John says the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, he's using that same word as the Roman Empire, but he's talking about a kingdom that is not one that requires you to pay taxes, it's not one that's going to go in and take over a country. It's God's kingdom. It's not mysterious. It's not far removed. As we've already talked about with repentance, it's not something up in the clouds. It is as real as the Roman Empire. It's not some future place. It's not somewhere we'll only go in death, as we often talk about heaven. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It is close by. It is present and revealed in Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, why does he need to be baptized? Have you thought about that? If baptism is for the repentance of sin, why does Jesus need to be baptized? He's not sinful. 
And John wonders this uh, along with us. Why does Jesus need this? One is so great who is coming after me that I can't even shine his shoes. Well, this interaction between John and Jesus only happens in Matthew, this conversation that they have. But even with our understanding of what repentance actually is, it's this getting back onto the path. You might be wondering, okay, but still, why does Jesus need this? <clears throat> Surely he's not on the wrong path. And if you are wondering that, you were in very good company, along with John. This has long been a question the church has asked, especially in the early years, kind of plagued the church. A lot of creative solutions to why this happens. And in particular, in the Gospel of Matthew, these are the very first words Jesus speaks, this back and forth with John. Why? Well, he talks about righteousness. Jesus talks about righteousness, meaning to fulfill all righteousness. Again, this is a reoccurring theme in Matthew. It happens over and over again seven times. Think back to the Nativity story. We hear about Joseph being a righteous man. Do you remember that? It's the same sort of idea here. This is related to being ethical, to responding to God obediently, to doing God's will. So, when Jesus talks about baptism as the fulfillment of righteousness, it is God's will, it is the following of God's will, and it exposes Jesus in one of his most important characteristics, that he is obedient to God. That still doesn't clear up that whole, but Jesus isn't sinful thing, does it? Because he isn't. And as we normally think about baptism, that's the whole purpose. To wash you clean. But that's really not the point of this sort of baptism. This sort of baptism is about choosing to live differently. That's why John is critical of the religious leaders who have come to him. They've come out of Jerusalem. They've come to him. They're going to be baptized. And he basically says, you're just putting on a show. You're not going to change anything about what you're doing. You're going to live exactly the same sort of way. I will be calling you to live differently. That's the point of this baptism, is to live differently. So not only is Jesus being obedient and following God in this moment, he is publicly choosing righteousness as his way of life. He is publicly choosing to live differently. Or to say it another way, he's finding his path. Up until now, we can't call Jesus sinful, but we can at least understand that he has been a Jewish man living in the Roman Empire. And all of the things that that means. He has lived under Roman occupation, and he will continue to do so. But in this moment, he is choosing to live differently. He will still be in an occupied land, but he is not going to live fully into the kingdom of heaven. So in this action, in this moment of obedience, Jesus moves from one way of life to another. He makes a choice to be obedient, but he also makes a choice to live differently. And in the end, this choice, this change, this chosen path will result in his death. Roman empires, like all empires, 
do not appreciate people living in a way that they don't define. But we're not quite there yet. So go back again to that shore. Go back again to that river. See Jesus there in the water with John. And imagine this moment in which a spirit descends like a dove. And then hear this voice speaking and saying, This is my own dear son, and I am pleased with him. Or as Clarence Jordan puts it, I am proud of him. Imagine that. Close your eyes, take a deep breath. Imagine what it would be like to see that dove, to hear that unexplained but holy voice saying those beautiful, loving, intimate words, this is my own dear child, and I am pleased with them. This is a public announcement, a public claiming by God. God makes her love and joy in her child clear and public and undeniable. Imagine what that's like. How that not only sounded for Jesus, but for everyone standing around. This confirmation that he was on the right path, that he was chosen. Then I want you to imagine God speaking those words to you. Imagine what it means to be the beloved of God. Imagine what it means to make God happy. Imagine being chosen by God, because that is the good news this morning, my friends. Like Jesus, in this moment and throughout his life, we are chosen. We make God happy. We are also called to righteousness, to be ethical, to be kind, to be thoughtful, to treat other people well. Like Jesus, we are called to live differently, to choose the path that goes to the kingdom of heaven rather than to other ways of life. But even when you mess up, even when you go off of that path, there's always time to come back. There's always grace and acceptance to come back to the path. And God rejoices when we make that choice, no matter how many times we have to make it. No matter how often we have to look around for where the path is and go, oh, okay, it's over there, let me go stand on it. Because we are God's children. We are God's beloved. And we have been chosen by God.
pray together. Lord Creator, Spirit, Mother, Father, be with us now as we send off these three members of our congregation. We ask for your traveling mercy as these members of our congregation are representing the love and the support of all of us here at Northminster. May they be a light in the darkness, but let them also receive a blessing from worshiping with these wonderful people, our sisters and brothers in Cuba. We ask for your mercy, your traveling grace, and God's speed. Amen. Amen. May God bless you.